Elon Musk's new company XAI is looking to raise $1 billion. Meta and IBM launch an AI alliance promoting the use of open source AI models, and November global venture funding numbers continue to disappoint. I'm Jackson Fordyce, and this is Venture Daily. Elon Musk's AI company, XAI, a rising competitor to OpenAI, Google, and Microsoft, is looking to raise $1 billion. Last week, the company's SEC filing listed $1 billion as its target fundraising goal. After launching in July of this year, XAI has stayed relatively quiet outside of announcing the launch of Grok, the company's chatbot with a quote, bit of wit and a rebellious streak. Grok was trained on Twitter's massive data set of posts and is being rolled out to premium plus subscription members of X, who pay $16 a month for the subscription. The SEC filing shows the company's already raised about $135 million in funding from four undisclosed investors. In a November X post, Musk stated that investors in the social media platform will also own 25% of XAI. To further discuss Musk's newest company and what raising $1 billion means for XAI, I spoke with Oliver Libby. Uh, hi, Jackson. It's Oliver Libby at HL Ventures, managing partner and co-founder here. I also spoke with Doug Clinton. This is Doug Clinton. I am a co-founder and managing partner at Deepwater Asset Management. Doug, why do you think Elon Musk's XAI is seeking $1 billion? What does the company need that much capital for? I think it, with the venture landscape the way it is and the um, sort of the large language foundational model landscape the way it is, OpenAI, Anthropic, you know, they've all got Google, of course, they've all got billions of dollars in access to capital. And I think that we're kind of seeing this paradigm where, you know, if you, basically if you don't have a billion dollars, as funny as it is to say, you probably don't have a real shot at building a meaningful product. Um, you need that amount of money for servers, right? You need that amount of money for R&D to really just be a player in the game, have a seat at the table. And so I think it's probably simply that, you know, could Elon self-fund it? He could, of course. He's been self-funding, I think, a lot with things related to X. So maybe there's just not the appetite to do that with yet another company under his uh, purview. But, I mean, it's Elon Musk, and he's going to have access to capital, and I'm sure that he will find a way to raise whatever he needs to raise to get this off the ground. Doug, how does the venture world view Elon Musk right now? Is XAI being taken seriously in the conversations you're having with other investors? I would say um, he's a polarizing figure, for sure. Um, But if you really boil it down to Grok and X.AI and what they're building, in the AI space. I think the thing that's most important is not what you think about Elon, but how you view the value of data on Twitter or X. To me, I think that they have one of the most unique and useful data sets to kind of create uh, a, a powerful large language model and then a bot, you know, that obviously people will interact with as a function of that. If you think about, you know, Google, just launched Gemini today as we speak, they've got decades of data from consumers literally putting something in the search box and telling Google what they want and then clicking on the right answer. Now that's really powerful data and we're finally just starting to see some of that percolate its way into Google's models and I think it's gonna make their AI much more powerful. OpenAI, they have a first mover advantage, right? They've probably got more interaction data with their actual tools than anybody else and Grok and X.AI have Twitter. You know, that is the pulse of the current conversation in the world. And nobody else has that 
level of data. Um, and so, you know, I, th- I think when we think about how people think about Elon, he is polarizing, but the fact is that uh, Twitter and the data that they have is sort of irrefutable, and I think it should be able to power a really compelling AI product. Oliver, same question. How does the venture world view Elon Musk right now? Is XAI being taken seriously in the conversations you're having with other investors? Look, I think it would be silly to count Elon Musk out of any entrepreneurship conversation. I mean, the success that he's had with companies, obviously, like Tesla and SpaceX is uh, the stuff of legend, and it is uh, very hard to argue with that. I think probably if I were looking at this deal, which we are not, um, it would be more a conversation of you know how much bandwidth does he have, how involved is he really going to be. And obviously, Elon's had a complicated relationship with AI. He's had certain concerns that are quite public, and uh, and you know in other ways, obviously, is starting a company in the space. And so, I'm you know I'm curious to see what his angle is, how involved he is, and of course, a lot comes down to what is the team and the talent that is being put in place. We just saw obviously the uh, the enormous you know uh, uh, rush around uh, Sam Altman and OpenAI and leadership there and the board structure. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see how XAI, especially if it raises a billion dollars, uh, is led and how uh, just how involved he is. So, so you know, again, hard to count Elon out of any startup conversation, and, and, and a lot of his chops do command respect. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, with the recent uh, you know focus he's had on X and, and, and everything, you know, just hard to tell how much time he will have to spend on. Last question, Doug. Musk has been outspoken against the quote woke mind virus, which he says has tainted OpenAI's ChatGPT. XAI recently launched Grok, its first bot which will, quote, answer spicy questions that are rejected by most other AI systems. When Grok releases to the general public, do you think it'll be embraced for its anti-woke approach? I think it's going to be purely neutral, and that's what I think we've really seen with him at the helm of Twitter. It feels like the network has been a little bit more even-handed in terms of how they enforce policies politically. It's been a little bit more open for conversation, and I think that's probably the right thing. So I think of his approach to AI as really a kind of a, a free speech, kind of first principles approach um, that you know some people are going to love, and that'll be great. And I think some people will hate just because uh, it is associated with him. Same question, Oliver. When Grok releases to the general public, do you think it'll be embraced for its anti-woke approach? Uh, well, you know, first of all, Jackson, I think this is a really complicated debate, um, and I am not really sure what anti-woke really means. Uh, I think there's a lot of concern out there about all of these chatbots into how exactly their algorithms are being trained on what data sets exactly and, and what are they allowed to do. And and look, uh, we I would have to tell you, I have a lot of personal strong concerns about the lack of any guardrails, not just on XAI, but on all these companies. They are running essentially enormous you know, training and clinical trial with AI technology on the broad platform. Uh, is there going to be a segment of the population that would be attracted to that? I mean, I think we all know, given the polarization, fragmentation in just the American political spectrum, that there's uh, a certain group of, of the citizens that uh, may be attracted to that narrative. But I also think in that is buried something that really concerns me, which is I'm not so sure that we need these AIs to embrace a political point of view in the way that their algorithms are choosing and selecting information. So, yeah, I don't really know what spicy means. Say Jackson, but um, but it is concerning to me that it's going to have a point of view at all. And look, um, I think we can all acknowledge also, it's like 
technology itself has no agency and it doesn't have a conscience. And so it all comes from how it's trained and who writes it. And that's really how these pieces of technology gain their character and what they put in front of people. And uh, we have spent the last 20 years and certainly the last 10 of them uh, dealing with the fact that unintended consequences from how social media and other large data science based uh, companies uh, you know, have have grown in unexpected ways and had very unexpected results. And I think the same could be true here. That was Oliver Libby, co-founder and managing partner at HL Ventures, and Doug Clinton, co-founder and managing partner at Deepwater Asset Management. Thanks so much to the both of you for joining the show again. Always good to have you on and hear your thoughts. Thanks, Jackson. Thanks very much for having me. These are important questions. Last week, tech giants IBM and Meta started the AI Alliance, a group of companies and research institutions that support open-source AI models. Joining IBM and Meta are companies such as Intel, AMD, Oracle, Cornell University, the National Science Foundation, and more than 50 others. In an interview with The Wall Street Journal's Bell Lynn, Senior Vice President at IBM and Director of IBM Research Dario Gill explained that the alliance wants to highlight AI companies that haven't received the same publicity as OpenAI. For many of these AI companies, he says, quote, Revenues from enterprise technology are driving much of their growth, unquote. According to a data corp forecast, enterprise tech companies will spend $16 billion on generative AI solutions this year. And only four years from now, companies are expected to be spending 10 times that number. In the recent OpenAI debacle, it's demonstrated to businesses that having only one player in the AI game leads to more risk. This has motivated businesses to explore working with more providers of AI tools, emphasizing the value of open source models. The timing of AI Alliance's launch announcement was no accident. IBM's Gill said, quote, This other way, it's a much more distributed approach, but much more resilient, because no given institution can derail the success of the open engine. Gill also believes the world of AI will not be won by a few lucky companies. Instead, there will be many players that can win and become successful in the long term. They just need help in getting the right exposure, and that's what the AI Alliance aims to do. For more on IBM's and Meta's plan to shine light on open source, I spoke with Vardan Gatani. Hey, I'm Vardan Gupani. I'm with uh, 645 Ventures, and I'm a principal on the team. Vardan, really excited to be on the podcast, man. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks for having me. Let's hop into this first question. Vardan, help us understand the basics. What is an open source AI model, and how does it differ from a closed model like Cloud, Bard, or ChatGPT? Sure. Um, so, from an open and closed perspective, closed models are essentially closed behind developing closed walls. So, you have... Uh, uh, a company like uh, Cohere, Anthropic, Adept, um, OpenAI that have their own models that they're developing themselves that are closed to uh, outside developers who can potentially look at their code and make uh, adjustments at will. Open models, they're developed in the open, right? They're typically listed on an open platform. They're kind of given full transparency all the way through. Um, and there's kind of a raging debate as to... Uh, you know, what's more secure, where is the buyer's risk, um, et cetera, between the two categories. IBM and Meta say they want to highlight the diversity of the open source AI ecosystem through the alliance of over 50 companies. Do you think open source will continue to gain traction in the market with the support of big players like Meta and IBM? I mean, definitely. Uh, open source has a long history of success pretty much just by staying closest to the problems, right? You have individuals who are living and breathing their own problems as developers that are able to create their own um, products to satisfy their needs, which is a, a massive advantage um, when you're working on innovative technologies and you're trying to find adoption and you know distribution at the end of the day. It's obviously a little bit more difficult to execute in an AI domain because you have 
you know, cost limitations uh, and other things that you know, benefit centralization as a structure. But um, yeah, I mean, open source ecosystems are very tough to bet against, right? They're, they're just so diverse and, and therefore so innovative. Vardon, last question. Do you think an open source AI model will emerge in the next year that can actually compete with the top proprietary models in the market like ChatGPT? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And it's one that I think a lot of people are thinking about. I think I think uh, there's a couple schools of thought. Broadly speaking, the ultimate model is probably not the same for everyone, right? Models can be deeply value accretive in completely different domains and different ways. And so what I think most people are trying to do is find the best solution for them, which might have cost considerations or specificity considerations or specific data that the model needs to be trained on to make it really excellent for their needs. And because of that, um, you know, I think open source can potentially provide advantages where they are first choice for both enterprises as well as developers. Um, but, you know, time being, I think there's just a tremendous amount of adoption uh, in the closed domain. And there's a pretty impressive amount of speed uh, with which a lot of the closed models have found homes inside kind of developers as well as, um, or well, more so, uh, for uh, for enterprises, so it's it's a it's a great question and one that I don't think has a perfectly clean answer, but you know it's hard to bet again against open models. That was Vardon Gatani, principal at Six Forty Five Ventures. Thanks a lot for joining the show, Vardon. Of course, thank you. If you were hoping for good news for the state of venture markets as twenty twenty three comes to a close, Santa saw and put that present under our tree. November data from Crunchbase News shows that global venture funding, particularly in the early stage, is still taking a beating. Here's the numbers. Venture funding is down month over month this November by 16% from this time last year. Early stage funding was hit the worst, declining 34% year over year this past month. Seed funding also fell by 15%. If you're looking for some news that's on the bright side, there actually is some. In late stage, global venture funding increased month over month by about 7% in November, which, although only a small win, is pretty encouraging when compared to early-stage funding. To talk through November's venture data is the senior data editor of Crunchbase News, Jeanne Thier. Hi, everyone at Venture Daily. So I'm Jeanne Thier. I'm the senior data editor here at Crunchbase. And really what that means is I'm spending all my time looking at the data and trying to understand what's happening, what we can see in the data for venture funding, and then also speaking to experts out there to see if they can parse it um, more clearly for me. Janae, really excited to be back in the podcast. Always a pleasure having you on. Thanks for the time. Of course. Happy to be here. Let's hop into this first question. Why do you think early stage funding specifically declined the most year over year in November? Yeah, it's interesting you ask that because I think that's the most sort of notable or interesting finding from the, the November monthly report from Crunchbase Data. And I think what's happening, and I've been speaking to a bunch of people about why early stage and specifically series a you know early stage is made up largely of series a and series b rounds and it's series a which is down the most um year over year and i think what's happening and what i'm hearing is that a company getting to raise at a series a the the requirements and the metrics have gotten harder and higher for these seed stage uh, funded companies and so what you're finding is a lot of the companies at the seed stage are staying there longer, are raising extension rounds at the seed stage, are sort of holding out and not feeling ready to go to raise that big Series A. And so really it seems to be a holding out pattern from those startups. And we know in this market, the sales environment has gotten much tougher. 
companies are, you know, are showing um, slower growth, and that's happening at seed stage companies. So I just think all of those factors are leading to the fact that fewer companies are feeling they're ready to go and raise that sort of significant series A round. Jeanne, late stage funding, however, increased by around 7% compared to November in 2022. Before looking into the numbers, did you expect to see simultaneous early stage declines and late stage market improvements? Um, I, you know, I think what's interesting about that is that we saw late stage come down the first in 2022. We really saw that clearly in the second quarter, and it came down precipitously in 2022. So that stage is down the most. And, you know, when I speak to people out there in the industry, they keep saying to me, late stage is over, late stage is dead. Um, so it seems surprising that late stage is up a little bit, a year over year. And I think what I attribute that to is that late stage is incredibly choppy. Um, the companies that are raising at late stage, there are those companies that are growing, that are showing strong fundamentals, and those companies can raise in this market. We know that AI companies are raising even if those fundamentals are not there because there's a lot of hype there. And then we also know that some companies are at late stage who might be a little stressed, but they've raised a lot and their investors still believe in them. We'll give them sort of tough-up funding as well to keep them because they don't want these companies to die. Like we saw Convoy last month close down. Olive um, AI shut it as well, which was in the healthcare payment space, Convoy in the freight space. So I think there are these very large companies that have raised a lot they might be in a much more challenging environment, but their investors fundamentally do not want them to, you know, fall over that cliff. They want them to survive. They think there are some strong business fundamentals. So I think there's a there's a whole bunch of things happening at the late stage. But why um, analysts are saying late stage is dead is because the IPO markets have gone. And so people are not investing at the late stage with an anticipation of an exit anytime soon. It's just there are some of these companies which they still believe in or are growing in this market. Janae, last question. Do you see any positive signs within the November venture numbers that markets will make a comeback in 2024? Um, what I hear is that um, for markets to come back, and I think this month was pretty low. It was $19 billion. I think that's one of the lowest months we've seen this year. There have been a number of months sort of below that $20 billion mark. Um, so I think it's a weak funding environment. And I think what it tells you is that investors expect the slower funding environment to continue unless the IPO markets pick up a little bit in 2024, because the IPO markets picking up would be a signal that all is better or better in venture. And I think really we're still going through this reset, this valuation reset, these down rounds, these flat rounds. So I think the market is still correcting. And my anticipation is unless something better, there's a better outlook in the public markets, this is going to continue for a bit. That was Janae Tier, Senior Data Editor at Crunchbase News. Always a pleasure having you on the show, Janae. Thanks so much for your time again. Great. Thanks to be here. Thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in to Venture Daily. Today's show is produced by Josiah Simons and Jackson Fordyce. Our theme song was created by Benjamin Cook. If you liked today's episode, please give us an honest review wherever you get your podcasts. I'll see y'all tomorrow morning.